live from the capital of the Commonwealth. This is the Sports Huddle with Bob Black on 1061 ESPN. We're also streaming live at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Call in and talk with Bob anytime at 327-0888. Now, here's Bob Black with the Sports Huddle on 1061 ESPN. We have not inadvertently jumped back to daylight savings time. It is not 4.02. Don't panic. It is 3.02, and it is a Monday afternoon. But this is the Sports Huddle with Bob Black, and we thank you for finding us, and we thank you for tuning in. For those of you that have been longtime listeners of our radio station, you'll understand what's going on this Monday and most Mondays for the rest of the college basketball season. If you're new to us, let me explain. On Mondays during the college basketball season, the Richmond Spiders host their weekly coaches show behind the web from World of Beer over there on West Broad Street at Short Pump on Monday evenings from 6 until 7 o'clock. And the season premiere of that show is tonight from 6 until 7, which I host, joined by head basketball coach Chris Mooney. Our special player guest tonight will be Jordan King, who is leading the Atlantic 10 in scoring. He has been sensational through the first eight games of the year averaging 21 points per game. But anyway, when we do that, Matt Josephs and I switch our shows on Monday to give me the time and the opportunity to head on over to World of Beer and get ready to host the Richmond Basketball Coaches Show. So on Mondays during the college basketball season, it will be the sports huddle early and abbreviated from 3 until 4 on Monday afternoons. And then Matt takes you 4 until 6 with an extended edition of Border to Border. Again, two hours from 4 until 6. And then I'll come back with you from 6 to 7 for the Richmond Basketball Coaches Show. Would love to see you come on out there and join us. Uh, grab some dinner. They got a full food and drink menu over there at World of Beer. Coach Mooney, Jordan King today. We'll have a different player every week. We'll talk some college basketball and some spider hoops from 6 until 7 Mondays during the college basketball season. So there you go. Uh, 3 to 4 today for the sports auto and then Matt 4 to 6 with border to border. And I'm sure both of us will be talking about the same table of content stories and headlines that have dominated the sports world over the weekend. And it would be hard not to start with the bowl scenario and the way things played out over the weekend and yesterday with the college football playoff and the controversy surrounding Florida State. So I'll get it out in the open right off the bat. Um, I am not adamant about this because I don't really have a dog in the fight with any of these teams, but if it was me, I would have been voting Florida State in instead of Alabama. Uh, I understand all that Alabama did to include beat Georgia in the SEC championship team, which was the best team going until that game. I get that. Um, Alabama had a very good strength of schedule this season as well. They lost just the one game to the number three team early in the year to Texas. So I do think they did a lot of things that are deserving of being in the college football playoff. I think no matter which way you went on this, it wasn't going to end well 
for somebody. But what I can't get past is that zero in the right-hand column for Florida State. They played a representative schedule. They played a couple teams out of the SEC. Obviously, they won the ACC. They're in a power conference, uh, all of that. And with a zero in that loss column, it's just really hard for me not to put Florida State in this thing. Look, Florida State rubbed a lot of us the wrong way at the start of the year when they were whining and moaning and complaining about not getting enough money and not getting enough attention in the ACC, all of that. And maybe some of that is coming to fruition. Maybe their days are numbered now in the ACC. Maybe they're mad enough, and they're certainly mad if you read their athletic director and head coach comments, and justifiably so. I get it. I understand. They should be mad, and they should be upset. But I also think Alabama's probably deserving – of being there as well, except that Florida State had the zero in the loss column. And, you know, you can spin the numbers any way you want, but I think you can spin them so that Florida State's strength of schedule and who they played and how they beat them. And I get the injury to Jordan Travis and all of that, and I understand you're supposed to take that into consideration, but I also think you need to take into consideration what Florida State has done, not only since he was injured, And they didn't win as dominatingly, and they didn't look as good, obviously, as they would have had they been in there, had he been in there. But they've got a month now to get the next quarterback ready to play. And look, these people, these guys that Florida State or Alabama or Texas or Washington or Michigan are recruiting, they were all great high school players. They are all great players. So they're, they're going to be representative at quarterback. Are they going to be as good? No, they're not going to be as good. But I think they kind of overplayed the injury argument a little bit. I really do. I understand it's supposed to be part of it, all of that. Uh, but for people who say it's not the same Florida State team as it was a couple of weeks ago, I'm not buying that just because of one player. I realize it's the quarterback position, uh, likely the most important position on the field, but they have other talented players not only on that side of the ball but on defense as well as they showed uh, Saturday night against Louisville in the ACC championship game. So uh, if if you pushed me to it, I'm going to say Florida State should have been in there and not Alabama. Again, I'm not as adamant about it as if I'd been, you know, a dyed-in-the-wool Florida State fan or an Alabama fan, for that matter, or even a Michigan, Washington, or Texas fan who, who were in this thing to begin with. But I would have gone Florida State. Um, I do think it was an injustice to them. I do think when you've got that zero in the loss column that that – That means something that supersedes some things as well. I'm the guy who all along has said if you are unbeaten and you are number one in the nation, you can't be topped as long as you keep winning. I don't care how bad you look. I don't care who you're playing. If the voters and the committee had you at number one and you were unbeaten, obviously they put you there at that time because you deserve to be there. So as long as you keep winning – I wouldn't be moving you out of that position. And Florida State was in the top four in the college football playoff rankings, and they did not lose. So I don't see how you could move them out. So I'm in the corner of Florida State. Look, I don't love Florida State. I think they were, you know, a whining bunch of babies at the beginning of the year with this whole ACC thing and how we're dividing revenue and we need to look elsewhere because we're – 
you know, almighty, all of that. Now, I will say they backed it up. They really did. I know a lot of us, Matt, me, we both said the same thing. Show us. Show us on the field. And they did. And they went 13 I'm I'm not, you know, the biggest Florida State fan out there by any stretch of the imagination. But I am going to say I do think they belonged to be in this thing. I think they did everything that was asked of them. Even after the injury, they kept on winning. That needs to count for something. They beat a couple of SEC teams that were on their schedule as non-conference games. Uh, I'm, I'm in the corner of Florida State should have been there. And, look, I don't care that there wouldn't be an SEC team in this. I think a lot of the country would be rejoicing that there's not an SEC team in the college football playoff this year, right? We're tired of Alabama and Georgia being not only in it, but winning it as well. Um, And you know what? Just from listening to some of Nick Saban's comments that he was in, I get the feeling that if they weren't in, he would have expressed disappointment, but I don't think he would have been over the top with it. I really don't. Now he's got national championships, you know, on his shelf that he can look at every day. And it won't matter as much to him. But I really do believe that. I really think he's happy they're in. He felt they deserved to be in. But I don't think he was going to go off the way Florida State is. And I get why Florida State is going off in this case. And and I really don't blame them. And, again, this all goes back to the fact that we had a four-team playoff and we have five power conferences. Somebody was going to get left out every year. And this year it just so happens that it's an unbeaten team, which is unprecedented. And has never happened before. And it's all the more reason that we're expanding this thing to a dozen teams. And I was one of those, and I'm still one of those in favor of a dozen. I like the inclusiveness where we can include some teams that are going to be um, major Cinderella's. When you get down to 9, 10, 11, 12, and then 13 and 14 in this thing, we're talking about Cinderella. So next year, when we have a controversy over who was 12 and is in the college football playoff and who was 13, while it's going to be just as impactful to that 13th place team and those players and those coaches in that room when they learn that they're out, on the national landscape, in the big picture of things, it's not going to be as dramatic and controversial as it is this year where you have a team who legitimately can win the national championship. I know the NCAA basketball tournament, we all get hyped up over teams 69 and 70 that don't get in, and in some cases they probably could make a deep run into the thing because they missed out because some lower uh, conference had an automatic qualifier. It's a different beast in college football. It doesn't work the same way. And the 13th team in the college football playoff is probably a long shot to begin with, and the argument won't be as intense. It won't be as tension-filled. It won't be as dramatic as it is when it's four and five. So I think it's going to be a really good thing that we increase this thing to a dozen teams starting next year. We missed by a year. We're a year late on this thing, uh, which is typical for the NCAA and and all of this anyway. And it just so happened in the last year of the 14 playoff, we got a really deserving unbeaten team that didn't make it. And I, I think it's more of a travesty and more of a shame that an unbeaten power five team doesn't make it as opposed to an SEC team with one loss, not making, I really couldn't care if there was an SEC team in it or not. That goes back to the old college basketball argument where they don't really care what conference you're in. They're trying to pick, the best 
35 teams in addition to the to the qualifiers that they can. So I'm in Florida State's corner. I'm not as adamant as a lot of people are about it, uh, but I would have put Florida State in instead of Alabama in this case, and we would have had Michigan, Washington, Texas, and Florida State. All right, uh, so that starts our bowl conversation. That's kind of the angry side of the argument. I think here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, we got a lot of reasons for attaboys and pats on the back and smiles and tip of the cap to our teams that did make it to bowl games, and we'll talk about that as we move forward. Again, it's the Sports Huddle on a Monday afternoon at 3.13, early and abbreviated Mondays during the college basketball season. Matt Josephs gets border to border from 4 to 6, and then I'm back at 6 with Behind the Web, the Richmond Coaches basketball show. Here we go for the 3 o'clock hour on a Monday of the Sports Huddle. Here's what's coming up on today's Sports Huddle. This is a huge fan of sports. This is the River City Rundown. Well, one week from today, both Matt and I will be at the Henrico Sports and Entertainment Authority, and we really urge and invite you to come on by and be a part of this with us. It's our holiday cheer and gear, hosted by our good friend Dennis Bickmeyer. They're having the grand opening over there tonight from 5.30 to 7.30, and then next Monday they're hosting us for holiday cheer and gear. Matt and I will be there 3 to 6 next Monday afternoon. We really hope you'll come by, donate some new sporting equipment, uh, basketballs, footballs, lacrosse, tennis, got what, whatever you've got. We're, we're trying to gather all this sports equipment that was distributed by the Salvation Army, uh, about 10 to 16-year-old youngsters, so sporting equipment that you think they would enjoy and they would use. Please come on by and see us next Monday, one week from today, right now from 3 until 6. Matt and I will both be there, and we hope you'll come out as well. And also want to remind you, while we're on the air live from 3 to 6, after that, they've got an A-10 women's basketball game at the Henrico Sports and Events Center. VCU and Delaware will be that game at 7 o'clock, so you can stick around and catch that. It'll be the first college uh, women's college basketball game Division One game in the new Henrico Sports and Events Center, and the A-10 Women's Basketball Tournament will be there when we get to March. So again, that's next Monday. Put it on your calendar. Please come on by. We'd love to see you. Say hello to us. Check out that new facility. It's outstanding. And by all means, most importantly, if you're in a position to do so, please donate some new sporting uh, goods equipment uh, to us for the youngsters in our area. And the Salvation Army is helping us out with that again next Monday from 3 until 6. All right, we come back on the other side of the break. We'll talk about our state teams that are in bowl games. Definitely want to get to that. Talk a little bit about my take on where they wound up and who they're playing and that sort of thing. Uh, We'll talk some commanders. Another ugly performance by Washington. We'll talk some more NFL as well. Unbelievable performance by the San Francisco 49ers. As much as I got to grip my teeth on that one, being an Eagles fan, I do tip my cap to them. They played an unbelievable um, well, two and a half quarters in that game. I really couldn't believe my eyes in that game. I'll hold off on that until we get to that at the bottom of the hour or so. Uh, but I do want to get into some commanders, some other NFL news and notes. The game last night had an unbelievable ending between Green Bay and Kansas City. Uh, the officials got kind of beat up. I think they missed at least two calls on that last drive, one each way. But it was a great way to end the Sunday of NFL football action uh, yesterday. So get into all that, plus some college basketball. Lo and behold, we got the first 
first net rankings of the year out already, and we'll detail that a little bit as well. So we're going to cram all of that in the next 45 minutes or so on the Monday Sports Huddle, 804-327-0888. If you'd like to get on the air, voice your opinion on any of these topics, or text us, same number, 327-0888. Eight, eight. Let's get our first time out. We'll come back. We'll talk about our state teams heading to bowl games. Coming up next on the Sports Huddle, 1061 ESPN. The NFL season is in full swing, and we don't want anyone to forget. We have NFL coverage every Sunday afternoon, as well as every Dallas Cowboys broadcast. Here on your home for sports in the River City, 1061 ESPN Richmond. Invigorating design for the Dallas Cowboys all season is 1061 ESPN. Brought to you by Arthur's Electric and Park and Go. All right, Bob Black back with you. Sports Huddle, Lewis producing this afternoon, 804-327-0888. Again, I take you up to four, and then Matt Jones is four to six with border to border, and then I come back your way at six with Behind the Web, the Richmond Basketball Coaches Show. We'll get into a little college basketball talk and the net rankings that are out for the first time this year a little bit later in the in the hour. All right, how about our state teams that made it to bowl games, and we wound up with four of them, and that that's a pretty good haul considering where a couple of these teams were at uh, some point during the season, and I mean primarily Old Dominion and Virginia Tech, and both with strong finishes were able to get to the six-win plateau. Those of you that have listened to this show know I'm not a big fan of that. Six and six teams, to me, don't need to be rewarded with bowl games when they could, and some will finish at 6-7 and seven with losing records. I'm just not a big fan of that as a bowl game should be a reward for a at least good season, if not extra special great season. And 6-6 six and six to me is not a good season. It, it's mediocre for teams that haven't won in several years. It's a good stepping stone and a good start to get to 500, but if you wind up with a losing record. I'm just not sure you should be in a bowl game. But anyway, uh, with all that having been said, credit to both Old Dominion and Virginia Tech to getting to that plateau and getting to a bowl game. So Old Dominion uh, plays just about when bowl season starts, two weeks from today. They play on Monday, December the 18th against Western Kentucky. Certainly a winning, winnable game there for, for either team, but as we look at it from the Commonwealth side, certainly a winnable game for Old Dominion. Western Kentucky at 7-5, and five, ODU at 6-6. Six and six. It is the famous Toastery Bowl in Charlotte. Uh, so they should have a good crowd. I mean, Old Dominion fans that are excited about football and the progress that Ricky Ronnie is making down there in Norfolk, they should have a good crowd. I realize it's a Monday. It's in the middle of the afternoon, but it is the holiday season. You should be able to take a day off uh, to go down to the game. It is a 2.30 game in Charlotte. And as I looked at the college playoff schedule, it's actually the only bowl game going that day. So they have that going for them, at least. They're the only game, uh, you know, going. It's the first day of the college football bowl games, and, you know, there they are playing the first one. So good for Old Dominion, as I said, to get to the six-week win plateau and uh, be able to get to a bowl game, definitely a step in the right direction for them. And, again, yeah, they're the only bowl game going on Monday, December 18th, and it's at 2.30 in the afternoon. Otherwise, it's on it's on ESPN. So JMU, um, 
gets the next one. I'm going chronologically a little bit here, and I'm really torn on the JMU front. They're playing in the Armed Forces Bowl. Uh, it's in Fort Worth, Texas, and it's against Air Force. So the positive there is it's an imminently winnable game, even without Kurt Signetti at coach. And I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, this is a, a an Air Force team that finished 8-4 and four and was really rolling at the start of the season. I mean, they had their sights set elsewhere. They were 8-0 uh, going into the month of November and totally collapsed. Now, I didn't follow their program all that closely. I don't know if they lost a couple of star players or what happened to them. But they collapsed in November. They lost to Army 23-3. to They lost to Hawaii 27-13. That probably hurt them because they made that trip. Not as long for them to make it as it is for us on the East Coast, but it's still a long trip. So they lost to Hawaii. Then they lost to UNLV uh, 31-27 at home. And then they wound up losing on the blue turf at Boise to, uh, to, to Boise State. 27-19. So they're coming into this game with a four-game losing streak around their neck against uh, JMU. And obviously the situation at JMU is a little bit disjointed right now with the coaching situation and players starting to announce that they're transferring. Uh, Jordan McLeod being the first one. Now he's still going to play in the game, but you wonder how sharp and zeroed in he'll be on that game and without his head coach and of course all the innuendo and rumblings that he's just going to follow Signetti to Indiana, which would make which would make a lot of sense. Um, but I want to backpedal for just a moment. And I knew I should have gone with my gut on this and kudos to my guy Matt because he stood his ground on this one and when JMU announced that Signetti would still coach the bowl game Matt was totally against that and I said to Matt we had a conversation in the studio last Thursday I don't think we were on the air um, that normally I'm of that ilk I'm like if you're going just go you don't if I can help it you don't really even need to give two weeks notice in the real world uh, you're going go ahead we'll take care of things you go focus on your next job and we'll focus on replacing you and moving forward with the people that we do have who do want to be here for some reason I had a little bit of a soft spot in my heart for Kurt Signetti to stay and coach that game. I mean, he had just done so much for them. They had done so well. We enjoyed, I enjoyed talking to him. You know, Matt and I split that up during the year, and he was very gracious with his time, as was James Madison, uh, to allow us to have an interview with him every week, whether it was Matt one week or me one week, and always enjoyed those conversations uh, with him. So I, I think that kind of blurred my vision on this one a little bit. And then when JMU backpedaled and said, wait a minute, I, we're going to move on without you. Go coach Indiana. And Signetti had said something to the effect of, you know, 90% of my time will be focused on Indiana, and I'll delegate all the responsibilities at JMU to my great assistant coaches. Well, at that point, Jeff Bourne was like, well, we, we don't really need you to delegate and only 10% of your time be focused on James Madison. So they just let him go, and uh, they put one of the assistant coaches. Good for him. He gets an opportunity opportunity to coach in a ball game I, that was the right move even if it was a makeup move so to speak but I, I was wrong about that I should have stuck with my guns as well and as soon as he said he was going he should have just gone and they would have been they would have been done with it. that that's normally the way I would go on something like that so we'll see how that impacts James Madison other than that that that's a more than winnable game for them I think the only disappointing part is where it's being played in Fort Worth, Texas. Now, I'm sure JMU fans will still get there 
Uh, but it's going to take a little more effort and a little more time and a little more money as well. It's a Saturday game, so that helps a little bit. It's Saturday, December 23rd at 3.30 down there in Fort Worth, Texas. But I think JMU uh, can and will win that game, even with the disruption they've had with their program um, at head coach. All right, Virginia Tech actually gets the opponent that I was hoping James Madison would have gotten, and probably at the same place that they would have gotten them, which was the Military Bowl in Annapolis. That one's on Wednesday, December 27th, Virginia Tech and Tulane. Now, Tulane is in the same situation as JMU. Uh, They lost their head coach. Uh, He took the job at Houston, and already their star wide receiver has said he's going in the transfer portal I don't know if that means they're playing for their current team in their bowl game or if they're gone entirely. It's not a good situation either way. So I think Virginia Tech got a really good draw. Even though it's a really good Tulane team, they've been nationally ranked all season. I think they're, what, like 23rd now that the the regular season and the conference championships are done, right? They're 11-2 and and 23rd in, um, in the AP poll. So, But I think that's a good opponent for Virginia Tech. And obviously the Hokies are coming in with a little bit of momentum, you know, the way they thrashed Virginia and, and all of that. And with it being in Annapolis, look, here's another chance for Virginia Tech fans to step up. And they did all year long at home at Lane Stadium, even when things weren't going well. And this is an easy one, folks. Hey, Hokie fans, this one's easy. I know it's a middle-of-the-week game, but it's in that week between Christmas and New Year's, and as long as you're around, you're probably not working, and you're probably looking for reasons to get out and go do something. Uh, Annapolis is an absolutely great place to go. Middle of the afternoon, 2 o'clock, Wednesday the 27th, um, that place could look and sound and feel a lot like Lane Stadium, Virginia Tech and Tulane. I love that matchup. Uh, for the Hokies in that one. And then, you know, kudos to Liberty. They got the New Year's Bowl, the the uh, Fiesta Bowl out there in Arizona where they'll play number 8 Oregon at 1 o'clock on Monday, January 1st uh, as one of the remaining unbeaten teams in college football. I don't think that you can ask for anything more if you're Liberty. You know, they got the group of five ahead of SMU. SMU finished 11-2. and two. Liberty with a bad schedule. But again, I go back to my floor to state argument they have that zero in the right hand column and that means something uh, liberty's got to be on cloud nine right now in my opinion feeling really good i don't know if they can beat oregon or not uh, i think they could be competitive but we'll see they get the fiesta bowl that's pretty heady stuff for liberty so kudos to all of our virginia teams it's going to give us an awful lot to talk about moving forward uh, with all four of those teams in it and they really run the gamut as i said from literally the you know the first full weekend saturday sunday monday of bowl games december 16 17 18 all the way up to new year's day uh, with old dominion on monday december 18th jmu on saturday the 23rd tech on wednesday the 27th and liberty on monday january 1 of 2024 good stuff for all of them not such good stuff for the Washington Commanders, right? We get into the second half hour of the Sports Auto when I come back after the break. We'll talk some Commanders football and all that went wrong for them at FedEx Field yesterday against those uh, Miami Dolphins. Coming up next on the Sports Auto 1061 ESPN. Let's get social. Follow us on X and Instagram at ESPN Richmond. And find us on Facebook by searching ESPN Richmond. Don't miss a thing from your home for sports in Richmond. 1061 ESPN.
right, I don't really know how much time it's worthy to spend on the Washington Commanders at this point, other than we give them so much time and talk about them so much during the course of the season and the preseason that it seems a little foolish to ignore them altogether, but they're certainly not relevant, and they're certainly not in the conversation. But I would spend just a slice of the program, I guess, on them. You know, another low point yesterday with the 45-15 loss to the Dolphins. And look, the Dolphins are a really good team, great offense. You know, they've put 70 up on the board, 45 yesterday against the Commanders, never in the game. It was 17 nothing. you know, before a lot of people even started watching the game or showed up at FedEx. And I know they announced another sellout, but there were, you know, thousands of Miami fans in attendance. And look, they didn't do anything good yesterday. I don't think you can point to anything and say, that the Commanders did it well. First game without Jack Del Rio as their defense coordinator, that didn't make any difference. I don't know that Ron Rivera becoming the acting defensive coordinator was going to help anyway. And the offense was terrible. Sam Howell had one of his worst games, 12 of 23, only 127 yards. And, again, he was under duress the whole game. Even on the touchdown that he scored, they were chasing him like crazy. And he made a great play, but they could have sacked him on that one. He was sacked three times through the one interception. Uh, like, like nobody played well uh, for, for the commanders. Brian Robinson, seven carries for 53 yards. So those are decent enough numbers. Didn't get the ball to him enough. And Terry McLaurin, that, that's just embarrassing. Like, I don't know how you can do that as an offense. You're theoretically your go-to guy, and he had no catches. Like, the Dolphins' defense is okay, but it's not that. To, and only throw the ball to him three times? That's that, – wow. I mean, I don't know what more there is to say. Look, here's what's going to happen. They're not changing coaches at this point. There is no way that Josh Harris and Magic Johnson want to do that. I know it's their bye week. And if they were going to do it, they would have done it this morning. It, it, this is not something that's going to happen midweek. They're, they're going to ride this storm out, whatever it is, the last four games of the year. And I've said it a hundred times already, they're going to clean house. Um, I, look, Eric Bieniemy has been a really good assistant coach for a long time now, but I don't think he's shown anything in Washington that would give me the confidence to say I want him to be my head coach right now. I just think they need somebody different, somebody from outside. Uh, their offense hasn't – if they were losing these games 45-42, to 42, you know, maybe. Maybe then you would say, all right, our defense stinks. But our offense, you know, is showing life and there's connection there, um, chemistry, momentum. But there's not. There's none of that offensively either I, I just you know I've been saying this for weeks I'm going to stay to it and see what happens uh, again if they were going to do this they would have done it today with the bye week here and they could have put the enemy in in charge and let him go the last four weeks but the worst thing that would have happened if they really don't want him to be the head coach is for him to reel off four wins and finish eight and nine and everybody's oh he's the next head coach and maybe he would be but I just think they're going outside the organization I'm sure they are already compiling a list of of candidates to be their to be their next head coach and they're gonna they're gonna flush this thing down the toilet and I hate to say it if you're a Commanders fan because you've had to be patient for more than two decades now, but they're going to start from scratch. They're, they're going to start all over again. Obviously, some of these guys are still going to be around, um, you know, and you would hope a Terry McLaurin 
is is still there, that they can get more out of him than what, what they've been getting. And, and Brian Robinson, to me, is a guy you can build around along with Sam Howell on the offensive side, and hopefully whoever they bring in can do that because the Dolphins just – totally had their way with them yesterday that thing wasn't a game from the first quarter on uh two uh tagovailoa goes 18 to 24 280 the two touchdown passes to tyree kill the two long ones uh, 157 yards receiving for him in that game and look if washington's offense looked a little bit like miami's offense then maybe your offensive coordinator is a guy you'd be talking to and considering but they're they're not even in in the same ballpark yeah, they had to pick six. Uh, Miami's defense did as well. Um, yeah, so this is just play out the string for Washington. Now, it's worse than I thought it was going to be when this when this season started. I, it, it really has become that, and they will just play out the string in the last four games, and Black Monday is going to come in D.C., and Ron Rivera is going to be one of the first ones out, and a new coach is going to come in, and he's going to bring his own people in with him. And it's not going to be a guy who's wearing burgundy and gold now, in in my opinion. I just I don't know how you can answer to your fan base with that at this point. It's just gotten it's just gotten that bad. A couple other things around the NFL. So y'all that that listen a lot, you know I'm an Eagles fan. And here's what really baffled me about yesterday. Look, the 49ers look like the best team in the NFL at this point. They really do. They're rolling. Um, the only thing that I cautioned uh, my Dallas friend, who I text with all the time, and you know we're getting ready to butt heads this week with Eagles and and Cowboys, is you don't give trophies in December. Uh, the Forty ers are the best team right now, but we got we got a ways to go here yet. And they're taking people up one wall and down the other. They did it to the Cowboys. They've done it to the Eagles. All of that. Um, but two things on the Philly front. The one thing that really baffled me yesterday. That game is 6 nothing Eagles halfway through the second quarter. San Francisco scored 42 points in like 40 minutes, right? Maybe not even that. Maybe 35 minutes of actual football time. Like, you talk about a blitz. That was it. They scored touchdowns on six straight possessions. That Eagle defense has really got to look itself in the mirror and figure some things out. I know the secondary is taking a lot of heat, not only for not being able to cover uh, Debo Samuel and the rest of those wide receivers, but not being able to tackle them either. So that was the one thing that really floored me. I went back and looked at it. I mean, I watched the game, and you know, obviously kicking the two field goals instead of touchdowns for the Eagles changed the whole complexion. If that game's 14 nothing Philadelphia, I don't think it ends 42-19. to I'm not saying the Eagles are going to win, although I think they'd have a much better shot of winning that game. If they would have gotten two touchdowns and gone up 14 to nothing, that, that would have changed everything. I say it all the time. Field goals in the first 58 minutes of games lose you games. In the last two minutes, they can win you a game. But if you're getting field goals, uh, the majority of regulation time, you're probably losing games and not, not winning them. So that was that was there for sure. And San Francisco just looked great. McCaffrey and uh, Purdy, and they, they, they look great. On an opponent's home field, rematch of the championship game from last year. The 49ers were all fired up for it. Um, you know, it happened from before the game to the incident with, with Dom, with the Eagles security guy, uh, all of that. And, and San Francisco just took them to the woodshed. There's no other way to put it. And they look like the best team 
in the NFL. The only thing I here's my PR positive spin for the Eagles. If you would have told me, you know, beginning of the year, look, you're going to go play Dallas, Kansas City, Buffalo, and San Francisco in a row, and you're going to come out of that three and one. Uh, sign me up for that. Uh, just sign me up for that right now. I don't like the idea that the one was the last of the four because it means you're regressing a little bit. I don't like the fact that it was 42 to 19, but I'll still take taking three out of the four. And you still got the Cowboys to go on the road and then that Monday night game at Seattle. And if you can find a way to get one of those if you're Philadelphia, your last three are two with the Giants and one with Arizona. It gets a lot easier. I know Arizona beat Pittsburgh yesterday. I, I saw. I got it. But the Eagles should win those games. They're still going to finish 13-4 and four or 14-3, and three, depending on how the next couple of games go. And I, I think you would take that. Will they get the number one seed? Maybe not. Maybe that will go to the 49ers now. Um, but because you got San Francisco, you got Dallas, you got Detroit, you got Philly at the top of the at the top of the NFC. But I'm I'm trying not to be a Philly fan that panics. And this was a really tough stretch for them. It finally caught up with them yesterday, um, and they've got one, at least one more to get through. With a, now a game again in San Francisco, well rested, you know, had the ten days, and now the Cowboys in the same position. They've got some. I'm not making excuses yet, Cowboy friends and fans, because uh, I think I think you'll see a different team in Big D on Sunday night when when the Eagles and Cowboys play. And if not, you know what? You move on, and you got Seattle. Two with the Giants and Arizona to finish to get you in the playoffs. And again, trophies aren't won in December, but kudos to San Francisco for winning that one and winning it in a big way. Boy, the end of the Kansas City Green Bay game last night. Uh, I don't know what you do about the officiating. Again, it's one of those quote unquote no dog in the fight games. But man, there were at least two bad, bad calls. Um, the the roughing penalty on Mahomes when he hadn't gone out of bounds yet. And I think it was Collinsworth who made the point, or maybe it was Tarico, that not only wasn't he out of bounds, but he was right at the first down marker. And he was trying to get the first down, and the defensive player was trying to stop him from like leaning forward or leaning the ball over the stick to get the first down. That was a terrible call. Um, I think there's a lot of criticism. The NFL is protecting its star player there in Patrick Mahomes. And unquestionably to me, that, that was an awful call. It should not have, should not have been called. Um, but then to make up for that, they don't call pass interference on the pass down over the middle of the field in which clearly, I mean, there was almost a strangulation there. There was so much contact, particularly high and around the neck before the ball was even in the, in the frame of the picture. Uh, there was plenty of contact there. It would not have even been debated that that should have been pass interference. It's a shame that a couple of, calls helped decide the outcome of what was otherwise a pretty entertaining game and a key victory for for the Green Bay Packers to knock off Kansas City but it was a good end to a football Sunday in in the National Football League it was a good game last night uh, complete with the controversy at the end and Green Bay hung on and beat Kansas City all right we got one more segment to go it goes by fast when you've only got the hour we're doing it at three o'clock sports huddle to four Matt Josephs has border to border from four to six and then I've got the Richmond basketball behind the web coaches show from world of beer and short pump hope you'll come out and see us uh, from six to seven tonight one more segment next on 106.1 ESPN 
The NFL season is in full swing, and we don't want anyone to forget. We have NFL coverage every Sunday afternoon, as well as every Dallas Cowboys broadcast. Here on your home for sports in the River City, 1061 ESPN Richmond. We've heard. just a little bit here in the last few minutes on this JMU coaching search. It is just so fascinating to watch the coverage of a coaching search in the media and more specifically in the social media. And they kind of cross paths at this point. Uh, And I would not want to be a sports writer having to cover coaching searches in this day and age because you have to be a real sleuth. You have to be technologically savvy. Uh, You have to separate rumor from data, from fact, and kind of go from there. Kudos to Shane Metlin, who covers James Madison for the Daily News Record in um, Harrisonburg. And I think he's actually got it down to the two coaches that Jeff Bourne and his contingent are zeroing in on. And I think you can get the idea that he's visiting with both of them uh, today by what I'm seeing online. So one of them is Bob Chesney, who's the head coach at Holy Cross, wildly successful there for the past six years. He's had him in the FCS playoffs. I think he's won five Patriot League championships. He's beaten a couple of FBS teams along the way. He was in the search at Syracuse, uh, which just introduced its new head coach up there uh, today. Uh, and so I think he's the front runner in this thing. And then um, – Joe Harasimiak, who is the defensive coordinator at Rutgers. Harasimiak was the head coach at Maine, uh, which obviously played James Madison back in the day as well. One of the younger coaches out there, if not the youngest head coach when he was at Maine. I mean, he's still only 37 years old. And I think Casey's uh, um, is only in his in his 40s at um at, at Holy Cross. So uh, Chesney is only in his 40s at Holy Cross. I think they've got it narrowed down to those two guys. And the reason I say that is Shane Metlin has done a great job of following that pilot tracker and the, and the plane tracker. So they had their private plane leaving Harrisonburg today and going to Worcester, Massachusetts, up there where Holy Cross is. And I'm sure they were interviewing Bob Chesney up there for the head coaching position. And according to the flight plan that Shane and others were able to unearth, that plane was making a stop in Teterboro, New Jersey, on the way home. And Teterboro is one of the busiest charter airports imaginable. We fly in and out of there a lot uh, with Richmond when we play Atlantic 10 games up in the Northeast at Fordham and the like. Uh, So I've been to that airport many times, and it's just loaded with planes on the tarmac. So that makes sense that they would talk to Harismiak, uh, Harrisimiak um, from Rutgers. It was right there in the area. So they're being, you know, very efficient with their plane flights. And I think they're talking to the two guys that are probably at the top of their list. So keep an eye on that for James Madison. I don't think it's going to take them but another couple of days to get this thing finished off, and they're going to have a head coach in place. Jeff Bourne has said all along he wanted a guy with head coaching experience. Both of these guys have it. Um, They can go back to their FCS roots a little bit here. Uh, Both of them highly successful coaches at the FCS level 
And, you know, the one has moved on as defensive coordinator at Rutgers, so he has FBS experience as well. I think it's going to be one of those two guys by everything that we saw today, and I think it's going to happen in the next couple of days. All right, Matt will be able to keep you updated on that. I'm out the next couple of days. It's that time of year when there's a lot going on. Spiders are on the road traveling tomorrow for a Wednesday night game at Northern Iowa. So I'm out for travel tomorrow and the game on Wednesday, and we'll be back in studio with Sean Robertson on Thursday of this week. All right. Uh, Lewis, thank you. Great job. Enjoyed doing it early today from the 3 o'clock hour for the Sports Huddle. Matt Joseph's coming up next. Take you 4 to 6. And then I hope to see you, but we'll certainly talk to you for Richmond Basketball Talk. Behind the Web with head coach Chris Mooney. Our guest tonight is Jordan King, who leads the Atlantic 10 in scoring right now 21 points a game on the season premiere of Behind the Web. Don't touch the dial. Keep it right here. Matt Joseph's coming up next with the expanded edition of Border to Border from 4 until 6. And I'll talk to you from World of Beer at 6, Spider Basketball Wednesday, and next Sports Huddle at 4 o'clock Thursday afternoon on 1061 ESPN. If you want to buy, sell, or trade,